the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give it up for the one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Hooray. Hooray. Love the energy here on a wonderful uh, (laughs) summer Monday morning. Uh, They call me Ben. Uh, Noel, I don't know about you, but one of the questions that I get asked so often when I'm traveling around or when I'm speaking to groups is, how did you end up becoming a podcaster? And I don't know about you, man, but I've been doing this long enough that when I'm being honest with people, I just sort of got into it. I just was in the right place at the right time. Uh, yeah, I just kind of happening. Just one day I just kind of started talking and then I just never stopped. And, and eventually I just put a mic in front of me and other people to kind of talk with. Uh, and it became a weird little career, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true. That's an oversimplification at best. No, I mean, like, you know, my background was in, your background is obviously in lots of things, including writing and, and theater and performance and all that. But it's just, I think we both found our way through various circuitous paths to this podcast life. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to sell yourself short and be like, oh, I just stumbled my way into it. But little choices that we've made throughout the years, I think, have led to the uh, <laughs> the natural result of being podcasters. But yeah. we're lucky to have been able to make a go of it. It doesn't, it seems like it's <laughs> a thing that we can depend on, I suppose. So thanks, thanks to all yeah, of you. Thanks to everyone. <laughs> yeah, Jeez thanks Louise. to you all. Because uh, you're you're really our bosses. I uh, It's funny you mention this because it occurred to me, oh, we were researching today's episode, which is a fun one. Uh, it occurred to me that now it's quite possible that there are children, maybe in the audience today, who think I want to be a podcaster when I grow up. 
you know, and also kids, you don't have to wait till you grow up. Uh, mm. You can, you can start your own show when, whenever you would like, we'd love to hear about it, but this is kind of an entry point for us because if you ask many, many people, then you will find that most people are happy with what they're doing, right? Whether it's a career, um, whether it's their romantic or social situation, they're often happy, but they didn't predict it back in the early days. You know, it's it's pretty rare for someone to say, yes, I am the world's premier hang glider. And I knew I wanted to be the world's best hang glider guy, lady, person, entity, uh, since I was a wee tyke and saw my first paper airplane. That's really rare, right? Like, do you know anybody who, you know, since they were six years old said, I want to be a shoemaker? No, I mean, well, you know, Daniel Daniel Day Lewis sort of pivoted from acting to shoemaking, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah it's definitely rare, uh, but man, when it happens, it clicks like that. I'm always really jealous of those people with that level of like forethought, um, because you know, I, I've done everything from you know, work in music stores to like, I were, I think my first taste of performance, I guess, was playing in bands, rock bands. But then I also worked at a science center where I did like science kind of shows for kids, which is the closest thing to podcasting. Well, that's not sure. Then I did like public radio stuff. My point is this, you think about an Abraham Lincoln, you think about him, you know, being the, the president, the guy on the five, you know, the guy with the stovepipe hat, the guy that, uh, you know, in his own way, was very, very instrumental in liberating uh, slaves. Um, Old more fans. But the street exactly. Thing. Correct. Yeah. But you don't necessarily think of like, well, what about before that? You think he right. just kind of popped out fully formed as this like cartoon president. But uh, he had some trials and tribulations and things that, that led him to that, you know, final result uh, of, of being what he ultimately became. And it's not what you'd think, as is the case for all the no. others that we're going to talk through today. We've got a handful. It's kind of a fun grab bag episode about surprising former careers. And rather than tease all of them, let's just dive right into Lincoln. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. And we hope this is inspiring. We also, uh, we might make this a series. We're on the fence. We just found so much stuff. Like so it. here, yeah, here are a few. So Lincoln is now known, as you said, Noel, as a president of the United States. That's one of the, that's one of his big wins in history. If you ask the average person to name presidents throughout history, Lincoln's name will inevitably come up, often right after whomever the current president is. Everybody kind of knows about him. He's also well-known outside of the U.S. And of course, people don't talk about Lincoln without talking about the Civil War and his assassination at the hands of uh, John Wilkes Booth, right, who said, thus to all tyrants. But Back in the day, when he was uh, just a, a young string bean, he was known <laughs> less as presidential material and more as a professional wrestler. True story. That's his background. Or that's part He's of a lanky background. man. He's a tall uh, drink of water, that guy, which isn't typically what you would associate with a wrestler. But think about that reach, right? And those and those 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 meat hooks, those bear claws. He could slap a man senseless with those hams. Mm -hmm. He's got the reach for sure. And you know, it's common for people in high levels of political power, at least in democracies, to have varied careers. 
there's a great study. I wanted to find it. I'll, I'll have to look for this after we record. There's this great study about the proportion of backgrounds for leaders in different countries. Like a lot of political leaders in the government of China came from an engineering background. A lot of political leaders in the U.S. come from a um, a legal background, right? They are attorneys or they have clerked somewhere. He was kind of a country boy, wasn't he? Like, I mean, he yeah, was really yeah. kind of a salt of the earth, you know, li- lived in a, maybe not a, well, there was, the, there was that, the titular Lincoln log cabin, right? He did live in t- somewhat rustic uh, surroundings, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he didn't have the best childhood. He moved around various parts of the U.S. heartland from, uh, he was born in Kentucky and he moved to Indiana and then to Illinois mm-hmm. and his his mom passed away when he was nine. It was rough, but he he succeeded despite the adversity to become a super a super like super good wrestler uh, and this is real wrestling they're actually grappling yes. sort of what you might consider like olympic style greco-roman wrestling where you're like kind of on the ground right. all pretzeled up with your uh, with your opponent yeah and this, we should say, other presidents did have uh, careers that might surprise you. James Garfield taught school. Grover Cleveland was a sheriff. Herbert Hoover was an engineer. But we chose Lincoln because, because of the wrestling. So what you would basically do with this, this isn't like um, this isn't like the high production value wrestling that you see on pay-per-view. It's not like The Undertaker comes in with a song and all these props and stuff. No, these this wrestling is when two guys enter the ring, they lock arms, they get the call to go, and they just try to throw the other guy to the ground. And Lincoln's mm-hmm. record is astonishing. 300 wins. He lost once. Who was that guy? Do we know? Who was that guy? Uh, <laughs> and what did he go on to do? <laughs> We we didn't know until we got ready for this episode. Uh, right. On April 22nd, 1832, future President Abraham Lincoln got his keister handed to him. He was thrown down twice in a row by a guy named Lorenzo Dow Thompson, Hank, to mm. his friends. But every other time, that. Lincoln, like, dominated. You know, it's funny. I actually was hanging out with uh, with Day, uh, my my girlfriend, and uh, and my kid uh, last night. And I don't remember how it came up, but I just decided to like pull up like wrestling trash talk videos, like compilations, because man, mm-hmm. that is some fun theatrical shenanigans. Like uh, The Rock, for example, he, you know, he, he, I think he popularized calling people jabronis, you know, and, and, and yes. I believe candy ass, things like that. But he, he does this weird thing where he does, he asks if people can smell what The Rock is cooking. I don't understand yeah. what that's a reference to. Is it, is it a crack thing? Cooking rocks? He, what is he cooking? And why, why does he want people to smell cool. it? It's, you know, don't, don't break your heart trying to overthink the mythology, man. Yeah. That's what... Mess, yeah. That's like when I found out The Undertaker didn't have superpowers. Mm-hmm. It's uh, <laughs> another confusing one, Austin 316. There Remember is no that one. Is still, there, is it, isn't there Stone not? Cold there Steve isn't Austin. one. But isn't there not an Austin? Like, no, sorry. Of course, there, there's no Book of Austin. <laughs> the yeah, it's John 316. It's John 316. Right. It's John 316. Yeah. And what is that? Do we know? We can find out. Uh, 
It's it's supposed to be a flip of the chapter of the verse that says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." That's the King James version, and I never understood the Austin three sixteen part. Uh, is it? But is he trying it. to appeal to to Christians? Is that the deal? Like to to the I don't know. I I feel like it's more something the fans started, not him. So, yeah, I don't get it either, but... Okay, here we go. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, I I found it. So, I'm not an expert on wrestling, so I was looking this up. Apparently, it dates back to uh, 1996 King of the Ring event where Austin took the win by fighting a guy named Jake the Snake Roberts, who at the time was a born-again Christian. And so... He uh, so when Austin won, he mocked Robert's um, newfound spiritual beliefs and then said, basically, I guess he said more like Austin 316, and the crowd went wild. Oh man, and I, I would like to submit an interpretive reading of the passage with a little twist For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. In the 20 foot steel octagon! Right? No. And, and 20 he, foot? And, That's yeah. not enough feet. I don't know how big an octagon ring is, but you get the idea. You get the, 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 the sentiments. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, here's his exact quote, and then we'll get back to the actual show. You sit there and thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your songs. Talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says, I just whipped your ass. Yeah, you did, boy. That's the exact quote. Yeah. Okay, Haas. All all, all this to say, all this to say is that this stuff is, is, is is captivating. You can talk trash oh, yeah. about this kind of professional wrestling all you want, but when you really start digging into it, even like uh, on a casual level, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, of course, knowing full well that what we're talking about is completely theater, the stuff with Lincoln wasn't theater. I mean, that was like a real, you no. know, feats of strength and, and, and competition, but that also contained a healthy amount of trash talking. And Lincoln, you know, compared to what we've just been going through, Lincoln's is a real doozy. And would it be? I, I would love to see a Lincoln-esque WWE yes. wrestler that only spoke this flavor of trash talk. How did it go? He goes. <laughs> I think there's one for each of us. I'm the big buck of this lick. If any of you want to try it, come on and wet your horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I want to see. I want to see those reenactments. I want us. Wet your horns. I want us to do a TV <laughs> show and do this. So and and Lincoln could back up the trash talk in 1992 almost 130 years after he is killed in Ford Theater, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame adds him. And he is actually not the only U.S. president who is in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. There are three others. Teddy Roosevelt, that makes sense, Rough Riders, uh, William Howard Taft, and George Washington. Lincoln, by the way, is only like 21 when he becomes the wrestling champion of the county. We do know a little bit about his notable matches. And he was living kind of wild. You know what I mean? If social media was around, this would have come up. His lifestyle would have come up in the debates. 
I think that's right, Ben. I think that's definitely right. But thankfully, all we have, I'm sorry, Ben. I thought there was another quote of his uh, that we could, we could, that, that you could do a reading of, but I think there was only that one. I even went and looked further, but that really is the one that, that, that rises to the top of, of Lincoln wrestling history. Um, but again, to your point, we probably have a whole hell of a lot more than that. If only there were smartphones and, and Twitters back then. Uh, but alas, We'll just have to imagine the other amazing gems that Lincoln would have would have come out with uh, in the ring. Yeah, and he had those opportunities, ample opportunities to talk some smack. Uh, we wanted to note two other of Lincoln's matches. This is, by the way, before he has the iconic beard and hat. And I'm just going to give you a heads up, folks. If you have known the guy only through the pictures of him with the beard, get ready for uh, get ready for something different. He doesn't look bad. It's just, it's really surprising. Anyway, so... It's like when Alex Trebek shaved his mustache. I think I think it took all right. of us aback. Or it's like uh, when you meet a little kid for the first time, if you're wearing a hat, and then you're not wearing a hat. This happens with dogs sometimes, too. They're like, yeah. who is Object this imposter? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. So Lincoln has to fight this guy named Jack Armstrong. Jack Armstrong has a posse. He is in charge of this gang, basically, called Clara's Grove Boys. Uh, And they're known throughout New Salem, Illinois, as these guys who show up to the county to drink, talk trash, and play around. And Armstrong heard, hey, this Lincoln kid is a beast in the wrestling ring. And Armstrong took took that as a challenge. So he went to fight Lincoln, and Lincoln won. Yep, and uh, we don't really have any specifics on how that match went down, but we know that Lincoln wrestled for 12 years total before moving on, uh, and after that became much more of a military man uh, and obviously began to dabble in politics, which began at the tender age of 23, so he must have gotten his start wrestling. Yeah, he was he was a teenager. I mean, I think he there was a little bit of crossover between the wrestling Lincoln and the military slash political Lincoln. Yeah. So after he has this match uh, with Armstrong, he knocks Armstrong around and ultimately knocks Armstrong out. But they become friends, and because he's friends with the leader of Clary's Grove Boys, he gets fewer challenges. And this is still thought of as his most impressive win ever. His second one we already talked about, which is the when he loses to Hank Thompson, uh, he does this, as you noted, during military service. He's a volunteer in the 1832 Black Hawk War. And then he wrestles for 12 more years. As we noted, he's still... Uh, wrestling when he gets into politics uh, at the age of 23. He runs for the Illinois General Assembly, and I guess at least partially based on his fame as a wrestler, and he wins. He gets elected, and from that point on, he says, okay, I got to focus just on politics. You know, it's really interesting because he is kind of a uh, president who started his career as an entertainer in some yep. way, shape, or form. Again, it wasn't the same as like The Rock and, and all that, but it definitely is a form of entertainment that he was making money and uh, for, uh, and he got a reputation, and that largely led to his early successes in politics. So uh, it's it kind of a, a crossover in some ways to the next uh, fellow on our list. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man... How have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> You're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. A background in entertainment, a future in politics. Who does that remind you of, folks? It's old Dutch, uh, Ronald Reagan, aka the Gipper. Had a lot of street names. Uh, he was when one, <laughs> when, when one for the Gipper, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I die. Yes, mm-hmm. famous. Look it up. So Dutch also has a past in Illinois. He's nine years old when the Reagan family moves to Dixon. And he loved Dixon. He would later look back on this and I I think view it through rose-colored glasses. He thought it was a bucolic, simpler time. He would reference it as sort of a Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer experience. Ew. And he, yeah. (laughs) Boy, you could trick a man into painting your fence and, uh, and other antiquated notions that have not aged well. Racism was just fine. There's also an excellent- It's okay. Series of theses I've read about this. Um, it was a great, gosh, I'm going to have to find the scholar. But there was this great piece I read theorizing that Huckleberry Finn is actually meant to be a black person, is, is meant to not be white. And it's a close reading of the text, but I'm going to find that one too. It's, ah, it's fascinating. Anyway, I'd never heard that. Reagan that wasn't thinking, yeah, Reagan isn't thinking in that depth. He is as, as we said, he's looking at these rose-colored glasses. He's not acknowledging the very problematic uh, stuff about Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. And I liked your impression there. Reagan himself is kind of a, a milk toasty kid. You know, he's got mm-hmm. Millhouse vibes. He's got yeah. Millhouse vibes is what it is. Bit of a goldfish. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Sort of a surface swimmer who has a very short memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was 
skinny. He's a slender build. He was shy. He had thick glasses. He wasn't the best student. And things changed when he reached his teenage years. When he was 15, he got a summer job that he, like for him, changed his life, or at least his view of himself. Yeah, got a summer job and a six-pack. Uh, around 15, became a lifeguard, real Baywatch-type character, uh, at the Lowell Park uh, on Rock River. Uh, and there's a, you know, somewhat questionable in terms of the exact details, but it's sort of like a formative backstory. It's like a, you know, superhero uh, origin story in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got more confidence, right? Because he was in a position of authority and responsibility, and he would throw rocks at people, pebbles, really, to get him to leave the water when his shift was over. Across seven different summers, he actually saved 77 people from drowning. And he talks about this a lot in interviews. He also, there's a funny anecdote. Keep in mind, a lot of this is curated and presented to voters, right? He's talking about this in in the realm of politics to seem more likable. The story goes, according to Helen Lawton, that one time a guy had been swimming and came up to Reagan, Dutch, and said, hey, I've lost my false teeth and I can't find them. So Reagan dives in repeatedly until he finds the false teeth and the guy is very happy, gives him $10. And then according to Reagan, this is a quote from Reagan, that was the first time I was ever paid for doing anything. Wait, so he was just, like, volunteering as a lifeguard? I guess so, yeah. He's just saving people for free. <laughs> can can, can wow. I just... he really is a real millhouse right there. <laughs> oh, man, goodness. Can I just pause it to you, you fellas? Uh, 77 saves, huh? But also known for pelting people with rocks. Right. Wondering if it was one of those, like, weird supervillain moves where you, you orchestrate the crimes and then you solve them uh, in oh, yeah. order to look like the hero. Yeah, like an arsonist who works at the fire department. Right, I gotcha. So, yeah, that part might be lost to history. I think Um, so. It seems like a whole lot of of, of potential drownings in a very short span of time. If I had to guess, this is something that was said very much on the campaign trail and something that really no one could probably confirm nor deny, and so thus no one would really go after it and it would make him look really good in the campaign trail. Well, I I do like that somebody got elected pre- when he got elected president, somebody hopefully in Illinois was like, that guy used to throw rocks at me. Exactly. But they didn't uh, have ben, an Instagram. Did we mention did we mention the caveat though that locals joke that this is a Chicago Tribune article. Locals joke that at least a few of those were young women who faked their distress to be rescued by the handsome lifeguard. Ooh la la, we didn't like it. It was a bit of a smoke show, it's true. Yeah, you can see Reagan now is transforming to a more physically active person, this young lifeguard, and he gets involved in sports. He actually goes to Eureka College on a partial football scholarship. It doesn't pay for everything, so he gets his second job that you might not expect. He is the dishwasher at his fraternity house. And just knowing the hierarchy of fraternities, that feels like it's a rough gig. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Dutch, we're done here, buddy. Keep scrubbing. We got to go to the sock hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I better it's, be uh, able definitely... to see my butt in those pans. 
Exactly. <laughs> and you shine like the top of the Chrysler building. It is funny. It is a bit of a hazing kind of gig. But he raised himself up by his his bootstraps and uh, became a, uh, in 1932, a, I guess, semi-professional radio sportscaster at WOC Ooh. in Davos. No, he was he was out of college by then. This was uh, not, I mean, you know, he was paid. It was professional. Didn't pay much. They paid him Ooh. 10 bucks a game, which is $174 by today's standards, which is still, I mean, these sports ball games are quite long, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's $174 for a game. That's, uh, it's not a lot of scratch. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a lot of work. Three and a half, four hours, probably Ooh. with setup and breakdown, about five, six hours. Yeah, yeah so that's like basically minimum wage. If it's five hours and it's $174 a game, he's making it the equivalent of $34.80 an hour. Oh, and Which hour. isn't bad. No, that's pretty good. Sorry. Uh, you're better at math than me, Ben. I was late on the draw on the calculator. But yeah, 30 bucks an oh, hour. The that's like. Good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I blame the calculator. That's a decent starting wage, you know, for a, for a young sure. fella fresh out of college. Um, yeah. But he he would have been a podcaster. Sights, exactly. He set his sights higher though to greater things uh, in 1937 um, when he enlisted in the Army Reserves as a private. But, um, you know, through uh, stick-to-itiveness and pluck, uh, he was promoted to second lieutenant and joined the Officer's Reserve Corps of the Cavalry. Mm hmm. Yep. And this is where he is whoosh, whoosh, discovered by Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, an agent for Warner Brothers uh, just sees Reagan in the wild in L.A. and says, I want to give you a seven year contract. Very Faustian. Reagan says yes. And he goes on to have a pretty storied film career. He gets his nickname, The Gipper, which he really leaned into later in life. Uh, because of a film in 1940 where he plays a Notre Dame uh, football legend, a guy named George Gipp. So the Gipper is a nickname based on a role he played. It's like if Keanu Reeves became president and people called him Neo. Yeah, this is the iconic scene that I was describing at the beginning of the show, at the beginning of the segment. Win one for the Gipper. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the, the line. Um, you should watch the movie. It's just very, very dated, but it is kind of a trip seeing, uh, you know, Mr. Warren Drugs um, acting in the pictures. Mm -hmm. And you can see him in multiple other films. In 1942, he goes to active duty. He's called in by the Air Force, and he is assigned to get this, the first motion picture unit in Culver City, California. What does he do there? He makes training films over 400 cool. this is an old dream of mine i've always wanted to make workplace those workplace films for like hr and safety training i don't want to be the bad guy though i want to be like either the the cameo character who's like what well, are Strickland we going to be the bad guy what's that Strickland yeah. would be the Strickland's bad guy gonna be the bad yeah. guy let's make just let's just make one let's just make one i have watched so many centron and Cornette and Encyclopedia Britannica films over these last two years that I think I can make one very well right now. I <laughs> uh, like a good project. Uh, yeah, and it's funny how those, I don't know how it works exactly if you license these for your corporation or whatever and you you just kind of keep using the the old one until it becomes so dated that it doesn't even like, you know, pass legal muster anymore. But we, right. uh, through various acquisitions of our company, have seen Varying so shades many. of these types of sexual harassment training or, you know, workplace decor or what have you. Uh, and there's a certain 
set of skills that goes into making these. Not exactly high art, but definitely uh, a functional form of filmmaking. Yeah, we're going to, okay, that's it. I'm going to get my sketch comedy crew together. Yeah. You guys, and we're going to, we're going to make these. Tell us what we should, tell us what you want to see, folks. Um, so this is all before Ronald Reagan ever becomes the president of the United States. After the war, he gets out of those training films. He gets out of that gig and he starts acting uh, again. It's around 1945. And for 20 years, he is a working actor. He's got one made-for-TV movie and then 53 motion pictures. And then later, this dishwasher, this lifeguard, this star of Air Force training films goes on to become the president. Uh, and like you said, Max, he, he talks about, we have to be careful with what people talk about on the campaign trail, you know. And uh, it might seem like we're being too nice to Lincoln and maybe a little unfair to Reagan, but again, we pointed out Lincoln was a trash-talking wrestler, and if he had a wrestling clip, if television had been around back then, and we had a clip of him talking trash, we most certainly would have played it. Uh, no doubt. Noel, yeah, today's not just, I'm having fun with this. Today's not just about the surprising career of some dudes. We had to, we had to add some, someone else in the mix, right? We did. Legal uh, sent us a memo. It was, it was a required. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this is another great one. And I love, yeah, I think we both love old Hollywood and these types of stories and, you know, the, the backstories of, you know, who the, the people who would become icons because they're often pretty, pretty relatable and then puts things in a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, Marilyn Monroe is uh, one of the most iconic of icons, like untouchable, you know, just like like Mufasa in the sky in The Lion King. I mean, she just she looks down upon all of us and gives a, a wry little smile. Uh, but her backstory is even weirder and crazier and turned me on to a concept I didn't even know existed. Uh, the, the age of early drones in World War II? What? Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Marilyn Monroe 
before she became the iconic Marilyn Monroe, was named Norma Jean Dougherty. And she was 18 years old. She was working a crazy amount of hours, 10 hours a day, 20 bucks a week in a World War II defense plant. She had a husband, a United States merchant seaman assigned overseas, and the company she worked for, Radio Plane in Burbank, California, made these small remote-controlled pilotless aircraft that were, yeah, they were like uh, target practice kind of for the U.S. Army and the Navy. And it might surprise people to know just how old drone technology is. Under a code name, Operation Aphrodite, Radio-controlled bombers were packed with explosives and flown into the air by these Allied pilots who would just eject once their plane reached a target. And uh, this this is pretty nuts because she, yeah, because Doherty is, her job specifically is to inspect and spray parachutes. I mean, it's interesting because you hear the word drones and you think about, you know, automated aerial vehicles that can target, you know, with precision or whatever. This was kind of the opposite. It was aerial vehicles that were controlled remotely, but that were actually used for target practice, right? Or or it was uh, it was a way of kind of like simulating mission circumstances. So uh, Miss Doherty, actually, her job was to inspect and spray those parachutes that you were describing, Ben, in a uh, factory in Burbank, California. And it's funny because her, her mother-in-law actually warned her. Um, she, she had gotten her the job in the first place, or at least was her connection. She was a nurse uh, working for Radio Plane, said that the fumes in the factory would, uh, would do a number on her beautiful hair. Uh, not to mention, perhaps, you know, inhaling uh, them would not be great for her health. So um, she essentially was an assembly line worker and she did her job uh, and eventually actually won kind of like a, I guess, a office pool kind of situation where she got a $50 war bond after being elected or, you know, voted by her peers, the queen of the company picnic. Nice. That's fun. That's fun. Yeah. And let's fast forward to June The Allies are still fighting uh, against Japanese forces, and that's when Norma Jean is photographed. She is holding up a propeller, and you can see her radio plane ID on her waist. And the guy who takes this photograph, Private David Conover of, get this, the Army's first motion picture unit in Culver City, California. Sound familiar, Reagan fans? He takes this picture of Norma Jean <laughs> Reaganites. Yeah, using using color film, which is pretty rare at the time. And he is there to get some propaganda going. Uh, he needs to get pictures of women in war production, things that will be publicized, saying some version of, everyone's doing their part, join up today. And this picture, th- this picture and several other pictures are one of the things that establish her in Hollywood. She starts, I mean, she's very photogenic and she starts becoming well-known. She takes the stage name Marilyn Monroe and interesting little quirk of history here, thanks to the good folks at the New York Times, we know this, the commanding officer who told that private to take that photograph, none other than Captain Ronald Reagan. How about that? 
Yeah, that's wild. It's also interesting too. I mean, it makes sense because this was the era of like, you know, Rosie the Riveter, we can do it and all that stuff. And like the government making sort of a PR play out of women, you know, stepping in to do the jobs that their husbands had done previously. Uh, so it's sort of a mixed bag because on the one hand, it is kind of cool and empowering in a way, but it's also sort of like, uh, we'll just hold down the fort while the men are away, you know, and then when they return, potentially go back to, you know, our their subservient roles. But I think this actually did cause kind of a, you know, a sea change in what jobs women were considered for uh, in, in a way. I mean, it certainly wasn't some sort of like glass ceiling shattering moment, but I think it did to some degree uh, move things forward, agreed. You know, at least in a small way. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's, it's inarguable. It's simply a fact that World War II would not have been won by the Allies if women in the population weren't part of the war effort. Uh, to say otherwise really diminishes the crucial role they played. And, uh, oh, that's an episode in its, of itself. We should do a special series on just the 1950s post-war economic boom uh, and then training videos. Totally. We'll do both of those. Can I say really quickly, speaking of like upcoming, upcoming topics, um, we've done and we've started doing a new thing where we have a weekly call with uh, super producer Max and research associates Zach and Jeff. And good heavens, we've got like 60 incredible topics uh, that I think you all are going to enjoy so very much. And it's just become like I think the highlight of of, of all of our weeks is, is getting together, or, you know, whenever we do these. Uh, I think we do it like about once a month. But I am so excited about some of the the show topics we have coming up, mm -hmm. Ben. I don't know about you. Yeah, very excited. And we're going to have some special guests coming uh, for all the all the TDZ fans. Stay tuned. And uh, no spoilers, but what's your favorite reality TV show, folks? Keep that answer in mind for some upcoming shows. <laughs> what even is reality, Ben? No, I don't know. I understand. I don't know. It's funny that they call it reality TV in the first place. But... Let's get back to Norma Jean and Private Conover. Conover is so taken with Norma Jean that he ends up taking leave from the Army Air Corps and he spends two weeks with her taking photos and teaching her how to pose for the camera. This leads to her signing with something called the Blue Book Modeling Agency in 1945. At this point, she was sometimes sorry calling herself Jean Norman before... Uh, before she gets to Marilyn Monroe, this photographer, Conover, has to go to the Philippines. He's called to duty in the Philippines. They lose contact, and her career begins to take off in 1953. And that's when he learns, this guy Conover, he's like, oh, wait, that's the lady I took all those photos of. I taught her to model. Now her name is Marilyn Monroe. And talking about being a stand-up person, I didn't know this. No, Max, Marilyn Monroe spent her whole life crediting her success, a large part of it, to Private Conover. And they even met again on the set of a film you might have heard of, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I can't say that in a not somewhat sleazy voice. No, there's, there's no way. There's absolutely no way to do it. I think that's pretty neat because uh, she didn't have to do that. And it's not like, I mean, honestly, he just sort of did a kindness. It's not like he gave her her big break or anything exactly, but he just helped her kind of find that path. 
Uh, again, like we're talking about at the top of the show, sometimes little choices you make uh, and people you encounter can lead you to surprising places that you never would have expected. And I think it's important to be uh, grateful for the people that you encounter in your life that, that help you along that path, even if it's not like, oh, you, you, you gave me my first job or you, you broke my career or this, that, and the other. Just people who you learn from and um, who are you know kind to you and give you the time and, and attention because, as you always say, Ben, time is, uh, is the most valuable commodity that anyone has. It's the only real currency in the end. I do want to shout out super producer Max Williams, who, uh, Max, you came through uh, and you pulled up, you, you found the image that we're talking about uh, from the drone company. And it's, it's recognizably Marilyn Monroe. Uh, you popped it here in the chat uh, without blonde hair yet and looking very much, honestly, I'll say it, looking like it's kind of in a training video. She looks like a scientist working in a video about how to put propellers on properly. But I mean, without, without all that glam and the uh, makeup and the, the blonde, she's almost unrecognizable. Yeah, you see, you see the, the iconic appearance really start to surface when she gets modeling gigs. They start out as advertisements uh, in stuff for men's magazines, but her agency... Blue Book Modeling decides, you know, they're talking to her and they're saying, you know, Norma Jean, you have less of a figure for a fashion model and more of a figure uh, of a pinup, which sounds not super great, maybe, right? Hearing that in the modern day. Uh, but they, they're telling her basically she has the wrong body to be a fashion model. And modeling itself mm -hmm. can be such a brutal industry. But the founder of Blue Book, Totally. Yeah, the founder, Miss Emmeline Snively, which sounds like a bad guy at a children's book. <laughs> Boy, does it ever. Like, you know, tie Penelope pit stop to the train tracks. I what? know, right? Uh, she is actually not an evil children's book figure. Uh, she introduces Norma Jean to Hollywood, to the movie industry. And that's where her career takes off and how she becomes the Marilyn Monroe people know today. Uh, and it's interesting that for so long, Monroe was treated as a stereotypical, like she was treated as a stereotypical kind of ditzy person or a um, dumb blonde character. But looking at her life, at this individual's life, you can see that she was incredibly intelligent, right? And that stereotype is undeserved. It's just nuts because you have to be pretty sharp to work at a drone factory, right? Yeah, you do. I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, it's, it's repetitive work, but it's not mindless work. And there are lots of moving parts and, and things that could be messed up and, and you have to know your business. Uh, I wanted to bring something up, Ben. You mentioned, uh, you know, the idea of, oh, you got the body for a pinup or whatever and the kind of problematic nature of that kind of thing. I, I watched um, uh, the first Pink Panther movie yesterday on um, on streaming with my girlfriend and I saw a funny thing. You know how before movies come on, they have those like warnings for different content things that you should, you know, look out for. Mm -hmm. This one had one and, and, and then sometimes they're like abbreviated. It'll be like, you know, uh, strong sexual content might be like SSC. This one said, O-C. 
and that stands for outdated cultural references. Wow, that's kind of. I think you could be. You need to be a and, little more specific. Uh, yeah. Wow. Outdated cultural references. Well, exactly, because that's the thing. First of all, the very first scene in in the Pink Panther movie is in like a kind of a harem type situation in an East Indian palace kind of situation, and. So that's handled with a good bit of uh, cultural insensitivity. But the thing that was really kind of a lot was there's this part where this this dude is is, is uh, making advances on this woman, and he essentially breaks into a room under false pretenses and just throws himself at her. And she's just so docile about it, just like kind of like pushing him off, but also like mainly just being like, oh, no, no, I, I can't right now because excuses. But, like, yeah. it's just the most gross kind of Me Too thing I've ever seen. It was really hard to watch. Pepe Le Pew, man. Very much that. Very much that. And this uh, this takes us to another conversation, different things we're going to explore in future episodes. We have tons of other trivia that we haven't gotten to uh, Lincoln right now remains the only U.S. president to have obtained a patent. So go you, Abe, you know, uh, in addition to being president. That's a cool thing. And here, you know, no, we were kind of on the fence about this before we went into this episode, but I think this is a series. I think we can do more surprising former careers of notable public figures. I completely agree. Maybe we'll workshop like what the uh, the official title of the series is. We we've got a bit of a history of introducing series and then just kind of abandoning them. But hey, it's our prerogative. But no, I love this one. I think there's so many more. We did one with, with about like weird presidential pets. You know that one was mm -hmm. fun. Um, but no, there, this one is a there's a uh, uh, there's gold in them hills in terms of like weird jobs that uh, people that were known for a one major thing have done in their lives. I think we need to dig deeper into this topic. Like legendary breakdancer Joan of Arc. You know, uh, the inventor of the worm. Totally. She could, I was about to say, her worm was unparalleled. And then you reminded me that it was, in fact, her very invention. Likely, uh, you know, driven by the, the, the word of God. <laughs> yeah, she got into that part later. Uh, so, uh, also, sorry, to Kane Hendry, uh, who's considered the creator of the worm. But uh, we have more surprising former careers ahead. We can't wait to hear your thoughts, folks. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back later in the week uh, with some more surprising, ridiculous history. In the meantime, thanks, of course, to Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to composer Alex Williams. Uh, Noel, thanks to you. Uh, I'd also like to personally thank um, my old <laughs> my old colleagues in the world of international affairs, some of whom listen to this podcast. So that's where I ended up, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for tuning in. We have other people to thank. Do you think Jonathan Strickland will be okay with being the villain in our training videos? I mean, he's just he's sort of the heel of the show, you know. If he was a wrestler, he'd be the heel. He'd also be the villain. I mean, we don't have to let him make him like sexually no, harass no, no, anybody no. or anything, but he can at the very least try to encourage somebody to do something that's like morally reprehensible pens. in the workplace. So, so I, I I got the idea. Have you guys ever seen the training video, safety video, uh, shake hands with danger? Yes. No, but I know that like these kinds of institutional films were sometimes done by big directors early in their career. I think that's one of them, right? Um, 
I'm not sure about that, but that is a very end. Uh, I think it's Herc Harvey. I think it's like his like one of his last credited ones. But it is just like yeah. it's like a horror film. It is so right. bad. It's like it's like it's like tighten this thing or it's gonna rip your arm off and stuff like that. I'm thinking more kind of like Strickland can be like the guy who like it like cuts the corner on some safety video and then gets some absolutely horrific results come to him. What do you guys think? Yeah, I love it. He's our he's our Dudley Don't Max. Uh, I also, in full disclosure, have a long history with casting Jonathan in villainous roles. Uh, when I was when I was heading up our video department, I would consistently go to him and and make him the villain. So, Jonathan, if you're listening, thank you again. You're amazed on camera. Uh, would love to cast you in some other stuff. And I hope that it's okay, because I'm just now realizing you were almost always the villain. My bad. And just to double back really quickly, um, Herc Harvey, who directed Shake Hands with Danger, also directed uh, one of your favorite movies, Ben, uh, Carnival of Souls in the early yes. 60s, and then uh. went on to do some of these institutional films. But there there are a handful of directors that have some of those on their uh, IMDb's that maybe they wish would get wiped off. Yeah, and to even triple back on this, if you want to learn more about Herc Harvey, check out his episode that we did on Ephemeral, where we go from early to Carnival Souls till afterwards like stuff like Shake Hands with Danger and stuff. Beautiful. Awesome. Great wreck. Beautiful. In the meantime, huge thanks to producer Max Williams as always. Alex Williams who composed our theme. Uh, Christopher Asiotis here in spirit. Yes, yes. And thanks to Eves Jeffcoat. Thanks to Gabe Lusier. Thanks to our research associates, Jeff Bartlett and Zach Williams. No relation. Have a great week, folks. We'll see you next time. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency, where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch, so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.